and welcome to episode two of Pandanomics, a series exploring the economic impact of the COVID-19 pandemic and what the coming months may hold for Canadians. My name is Stephen Maurice. I'm the editor of Scotiabank Perspectives. Today, I'm talking to Rebecca Young, Director of Economic and Fiscal Policy at Scotiabank, and we're talking about jobs. Rebecca, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. So let's jump right into these relatively new numbers from Statistics Canada. Last week, they released their job numbers for September. And on the face of it, it looks like really good news. Something like 378,000 jobs created in that month. The unemployment rate down to 9%. Rebecca, can you break those numbers down for us a little bit? Talk about the trend line, how, how far back we've come from the worst of the impacts of the pandemic on employment. So I guess that would take us back to May. Can you can you put those numbers into some context for us? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as you mentioned, September numbers, they came in strong, no doubt. And so we saw 380,000 jobs gained. That brings the total to two and a quarter million. But importantly, three quarters of the jobs lost since the pandemic hit have now been recouped in a very short few five months. So that is very impressive. And if you look at that unemployment number at 9%, it's even more impressive if you consider that what we saw in Statistics Canada data was that another 164,000 Canadians re-entered the labour market, so they were looking for jobs. So bringing the unemployment down to 9%, that that is pretty impressive. And so overall, I would say these numbers um, really by far exceeded what forecasters were expecting for September. And the gains were across the board. So whether you looked at, you know, by and large, most sectors, most geographies, um, you know, across the board, they were heading in the right direction, obviously some stronger or weaker than others. Um, And then also we saw Canadians working more hours. So it wasn't just more jobs being gained and more Canadians entering the labor force, but we saw more hours worked. And that's particularly important for GDP because that is measured as the number of hours worked times the productivity of those workers. So by and large, you know, September's strong, but that really rounds off what we've seen as an exceptionally strong trend of job recovery since that, uh, really the nadir of the pandemic in March, April, May, as things were shut down. And so, you know, at that peak, what we saw from February, unemployment was at a historic low of 5.6%. It shot up to 13.7% by May. And so to come have come all the way down to 9% in just four months is really pretty phenomenal when you think of even the global financial crises the peak at peak unemployment at that point was 8.7%, and it took nine years to recover um, back to pre-crisis um, levels. So what we have seen in trends, very strong. But I guess I would finish just with a word of caution. And so, you know, we should really, um, you know, be happy with the numbers we've seen in September, but there are a number of reasons to um, be cautious about what we can expect going forward. And so the first is obvious is 9% unemployment is still very high. It's come, you know, we've come a long way, but we still have a long way to go. And the second aspect of those jobs that we still have to recover, 
the vast majority of them are in sectors that are about to be hit again by uh, second waves. And we're already seeing, since polling for these September data went out, we've seen Toronto, um, parts of Quebec. Um, we're seeing increasingly major parts of the Canadian economy having more restrictive measures in sectors such as food, uh, restaurants, accommodation. So we really, you know, again, underscoring great numbers in September, great trend, but big word of caution. For sure. Those are great numbers for September. I think uh, in talking about those numbers, uh, your Scotiabank economics colleague, Derek Holt, warned that he thought this might be the last of the great job reports. So we'll come back to sort of the the forward-looking outlook, but maybe we'll just get a little bit deeper into the numbers that just came out. Um, Is there, you would think that September with back to school and so on, uh, that would be, that might be one of the drivers of the increase in employment. Was that a factor overall in the almost 380,000 jobs that came back? Yes, absolutely. That was a very big factor. So September back to school. And quite frankly, we didn't know whether that would or wouldn't be a driver. Quite frankly, in U.S. numbers, what we saw is that we saw a loss of employment in education as a result of shifting to online. So there were big question marks as to how what would happen in Canada. So we not only saw the education sector, so people um, getting more jobs in education, that went up by about 70,000. But even more importantly, we saw about 175,000 parents go back into the workforce in September alone, and about three quarters of those were women or mothers. And so this really underscores what we've known intuitively all along is that not having your kids in school impedes um, parents and mothers in particular inability to go back to work. And so I think as we look at how governments are responding to second waves, you really see why they are trying to keep schools open at all costs, even if it means selectively shutting down other sectors temporarily. Right. In that respect, we've heard the word she session used over the course of the last few months as women appeared to have been disproportionately affected or at least affected in a, in a more significant way than they have in previous recessions. Um, but do you think she session is an accurate reflection of what has taken place? And with these new numbers, are we starting to bounce back from that if in fact we were in a so-called she session? Well, let me first start by unpacking the term she session and where it really came from early in this pandemic. And so the first is that in a typical recession, you could say past recessions are more like he sessions because in typical recessions, it's jobs in construction, manufacturing, more of these industries that are male dominated. And so typically you see 80% of job losses in recessions uh, happening to men. And so what we saw when the lockdowns initially started started to take hold in March. The first data that we saw that first month of March print, about 60% of job losses were women. So, and this was because it was um, retail shops shutting down, it was restaurants, it was all these industries that were more female dominated that were hit in that very first month. So I think she session really caught on there, but men weren't spared. Fast forward a month from, you know, from that March data is that men in construction and in manufacturing, these jobs were also hit, um, you know, by the time we got through April and May. 
we did see a bit of a faster recovery initially for these male-dominated sectors, but I would say with September print, we we know we saw a bit of an evening out. So we did see, um, you know, now both levels of male and female participation, um, you know, more on par with each other. Um, but I think that that doesn't necessarily mean that we shouldn't be worried about uh, the impacts on, on women because what we did see also in the September data is even though the job numbers are up, um, mothers are still working less. And I say mothers in particular as a, a subcategory of women, but the data in September really looked at mothers were working less than half their usual hours. That statistic was up by 70% relative to February. So they may be going back to the job market, but they're certainly not working anywhere close to the hours that they were before the pandemic. So I think that that is a concern both at a household level and their income level, but also at an aggregate and the impact that will have on the economy. And I guess, you know, if I can add just one other point, um, sure. you know, we did see some interesting data and it, you'll probably be surprised to hear an economist talk about this, but we saw from Statistics Canada data on Canadians' mental health and how they've perceived their mental health over the course of the pandemic. And we, you know, there was a gap that women were more stressed or had more health, uh, mental health challenges prior to the pandemic. But we did see um, from uh, two weeks ago, Statistics Canada data saying that that has widened. And what I would say, though, is overall for women and for men, the sort of the mental health impact, um, you know, is concerning from, you know, from an economic and a social perspective on what that, you know, what that really does to uh, ability to work and productivity in the workplace. Absolutely. Can we just maybe look at a couple of the other uh, demographic sectors that appear to have been more deeply affected by uh, uh, by job losses. So uh, youth in particular, and I think they probably still make up a disproportionate amount. I mean, their unemployment numbers were always higher than others, but I think they were even more disproportionately affected. People working multiple jobs, the so-called gig economy and, and all of that. There's probably uh, a lot less money being made by Uber drivers right now, but maybe more by Uber Eats cyclists or whatever. So those, you know, there are maybe some different opportunities there now, but it does seem like uh, younger people as well as newer Canadians, I imagine because they tend to, at least in their earlier time in the country, to work in lower wage jobs, which also seem to have been disproportionately affected. Uh, any thoughts about those two particular sectors? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And so what we did see that was quite unique um, to job losses over the course of the pandemic relative to past recessions is that the bulk of job losses were focused on low wage sectors. And so Statistics Canada defines low wage as two thirds of the mean wage. And so they've pegged that at anyone earning $16 an hour or less. And so what we saw was about three quarters of all the job losses were for Canadians earning um, what's defined as low wage. And so, um, you know, as you as you point out, these tend to be uh, new Canadians. These tend to be um, uh, part time. These tend to be um, sector specific, whether it's in retail, whether it's in restaurant, food accommodation, um, and it's also um, uh, hitting uh, you know different um, um, uh, more 
minority populations, whether it's black or Aboriginal. So we really have seen, um, you know, Canadians, um, you know, it hasn't been an equal impact on all Canadians in, in the workforce. And if you consider the impact on low-wage Canadians in particular, they likely would have entered the pandemic already with household um, financial vulnerabilities and stresses. So it really put has put many Canadian households in a precarious situation to suddenly be facing down either hours lost or jobs lost. We saw on uh, the same day that the jobs numbers came out last week, uh, the federal government also announcing that it's extending, I understand, the wage subsidy. What role broadly would you say the the uh, income supports provided by the government have played? Have they um, kept particularly those people on the lower wage earners uh, more or less whole during that period, and what happens? I mean, there are there have been there are replacements. The CERB uh, is in the process of expiring, but hasn't already. Um, there are new programs, including a sort of reformulated EI. Um, how important are those going to be going forward, and how long do you think they're going to need to last? Can you can you look down the road, and you know when when will that nine percent get back to something more historically normal, whether that's five or six or whatever? Well, so first, you know, the first part of your question really on, you know, what has been done so far, and I would uh, uh, quote Governor Mecklem, I think that the federal government is really crushing it when it comes to income supports in that first phase of the pandemic. And we did see uh, data from Statistics Canada saying that in the second quarter, so basically April through June, uh, the amount that the government paid to Canadian households exceeded wages lost by about 30 billion. So on aggregate, Canadians were receiving more money than they were losing as a result of job losses, and quite substantially. And so that you know has been, and, and consequently, we also saw household savings rate literally shoot through the roof for uh, many Canadian households. And that was admittedly a combination of not being able to spend during lockdowns, but it was also getting these, whether it was the uh, the CERB, the Canada Emergency Response Benefit, or whether it was some of the other transfers. And that, you know, so, you know, again, the crushing it part is that that's what it was intended to do. It was intended to provide this, you know, massive and very quick injection of cash to Canadians so they go out and spend it and avoid a worse case economic scenario. And we really did see that in the rapid rebound, say, of retail sales or more specifically auto sales over the summer. They really took off. And so, you know, by and large, I think that we can say, um, you know, about 9 million Canadians out of a workforce of 19 million tapped into the CERB over the course of its duration. And it just, it did just sunset, as you, as you point out, at the end of September. Um, but looking forward now, what the government has done is they have replaced the CERB, but with something commensurate in a number of ways. So Canadians can still get the same 500 a week for up to 26 weeks over the next year. But what, what they can do additionally now is they can actually get a job um, and still earn 38000 before these benefits are clawed back. So this is actually a positive in the sense it is intended to encourage 
Canadians to either go back to the workforce or um, or stay in the workforce in second wave pandemics uh, without having the fear that a clawback or a disincentive from these government supports would, you know, would otherwise, maybe the calculation would be that they're better off staying home. And so I think that the positive that gives us a sight line, both as Canadians and as economists, that there is a benefit out there if you lose your job in the coming year, that we have more clarity on what sort of backstop uh, there will be. And I think that will be an important part of, you know, this next phase as we brace for second waves and as we brace for potential shutdowns in what we hope are very targeted sector specific shutdowns. But it clearly will be an important aspect of um, of, of the next, um, you know, the next uh, six to 12 to 18 months. And quite frankly, you know, to your point of when will we return to historic lows of unemployment? Certainly not anytime soon in the horizons that we're forecasting is that I think that we have seen a structural shift in unemployment in uh, in in Canada for some time. And so I think that we will still see, you know, we'll be getting back to the sixes by the 2022 time frame. But, you know, still a long way off to seeing the, you know, the five high five percents that we saw last year. So just one last question, and I think it's connected to sort of those larger structural issues that you talked about. And this would be around um, sort of immigration and what obviously we're not facing labor shortages right now when you've got unemployment close to double digits. Um, But over the last decade, and we were assuming looking forward, uh, labor shortages were a bigger problem or a potential, potentially bigger problem on the horizon for Canada with an aging demographic. And immigration played a significant role in terms of policy in trying to address that problem. I guess there's, you know, you can talk about productivity as sort of the flip side of that, uh, of answering that equation, but in terms of labor shortages and, and what the, the labor market looks like more broadly during COVID, um, I assume the significant numbers of, of immigrants that, that, that Canada has been taking in over the last few years has been reduced because of restrictions on travel and so on. Uh, and presumably will go on for another, who knows, six months or longer. Um, is that something we can bounce back from? Is it going to require changes in immigration policy where we'll be looking at taking in 500,000 two years from now instead of the whatever it is, 325 or 350 that I think we have been over the last over the last few years? Yes, absolutely. You know, the Canadian economy has really been fueled by population growth, which in turn has been new Canadians and new Canadians not only coming to Canada, but integrating quickly into the workforce. And so, you know, that's been a clear distinction between regions and provinces and cities that have, you know, had benefited from strong growth and strong, um, uh, strong um, housing sales, um, you know, are those that, you know, have benefited from strong immigrant inflows. And obviously the pandemic has, you know, has stopped that. But we do see that the government has continued to extend invitations, uh, but there has been a slowdown in the number of uh, immigrants that have come into Canada. So clearly that has to start up quickly. But we also have to focus on, you know, not just during the pandemic, but prior to the pandemic, um, uh, making sure that we're training both 
existing Canadians and future Canadians with the right skill set of the jobs of the future. And that has changed radically, but the premise has not around reskilling and retraining. And so I think that has to be a part of the next phase of job recovery as well. Absolutely. I think we could spend another 20 minutes talking about innovation and training for for the new economy and the jobs of the future. But we don't have another 20 minutes right now. Uh, we're at our at the end of our time. Uh, Rebecca Young, um, Director of Economic and Fiscal Policy at Scotiabank. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, that was really interesting and I appreciate you coming and talking to us. Thank you. You've been listening to Pandanomics. We'll be back next week. Next week, we're going to be talking about small business and retail and what does all this mean for your corner store or your barbershop or uh, the other favorite places that you like to go? What's the outlook for, for those businesses and how you go about your retail shopping? We'll be back next week with that episode of Pandanomics. Thanks so much for joining us.